All right, it's good to see you guys, uh, and welcome back from camp. Those of you who got to go to camp, I'm Danny Davis. Uh, if you were on Team 7 on the bike trip, uh, Slay Dog Davis, let's go. Is <laughs> like the worst nickname for me ever, um, but it's, there's a story behind it. You can ask us later. Um, and there was something on the, the, the biggest cheer on that video was for a duck. I have no idea what's going on, but let's go. Let's have some fun. Um, I, I feel like I'm moving in up here on stage. Uh, my family can attest that when we travel, when we jump on an airplane, I think of every potential possibility. And so I've got two, two liquids here in case my voice goes. I've got equipment and Bibles and everything. So sorry. Sorry I'm moving in here. Um, I'm really excited to be up in front of you uh, today. Uh, last time I got to speak to you was right after summer camp as well. And I know for those who went to summer camp, uh, what an amazing experience that it was for you. I'm sure that you had a great time, great opportunity of worship, but also in the Word and learning about being victors in Christ and having victory in Christ. And uh, there's a lot of correlation to what we're talking about today, so I'll, um, you'll hopefully gain that uh, connection as, as I talk through this. Um, for those who didn't get to go to summer camp, it's cool, right? Like, I haven't been to summer camp with, with RBC ever, and everyone's always like, why aren't you coming? And I wish I could, but it just doesn't always work out. And I know, especially for students, when you can't go, sometimes you're, you're upset or sad or it's, it's not, you know, you wish you could have been there. But you know what? You can't do everything, right? So I know God's still working in you, and, um, and you get to enjoy the, the stories of your friends who were at camp. Uh, so last year when I spoke, um, for anyone who might remember, it was right after Top Gun Maverick came out. And I put a little thing on the screen. Well, this year I'm speaking right after Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning comes out. And I'm like, okay, Lee must just be asking me to talk when Tom Cruise movies show up. Um, but now that Hollywood's on strike, I probably won't be talking to you till 2027. So um, this will be my last one for all. Just kidding. Um, so as we've been talking through Acts, uh, you know there are different ways that we can talk through Acts. And we've had Lee... Uh, many others uh, speaking through uh, the verses, and it's a great way just to read through the chapters in Acts. And one way is kind of read a few verses, break it down, read a few verses, break it down. I'm going to take a different approach today. We're going to read the whole entire chapter at one time, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to bring some, uh, some key points together. So uh, you got your sheets in front of you. If you'll pull those out, that is literally the entire chapter of Acts 26. You can pull out your Bible. I will have it on the screen. But if you will follow along with me, Um, I would like to read this together. So here we go, Acts 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest part of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. A Pharisee is like the best of the Jews, the best of the best of the Jews. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. 
I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Quick sidebar, remember, Paul was Saul. Saul was a great Pharisee, a Jew of the Jews. He was the chief guy persecuting new believers in Jesus. This Jesus that came, died, rose again, was basically throwing the world on its head, and he was the chief guy leading all of these persecutions against the new Christians. So now Paul continues on to talk about his conversion. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's, that's a, a, like a, a farming term when the oxen are going in the fields and they want to go left and you want them to go right. You hit them with a stick. That's the goads. You're pressing them along. Well, Jesus is saying in this vision to Paul, why are you resisting my turning of you? Why are you not hearing the message that I am truly fulfilling the prophets? So anyway, weird, weird phrase we don't get today, but just a, a, a quick Sidebar, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. So they may turn from darkness, catch this, turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He continues, therefore, O King Agrippa, and I'll, I'll give you the rundown of who this Agrippa guy is. He's basically king of the Jewish people, okay? O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that, Christ, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, he's governor from Rome, uh, the Roman uh, uh, Empire over this area. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you crazy, essentially. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, King Agrippa, knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would I would ask or hope to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the testimony of Paul, how he spoke boldly to those around him. And Lord, how he kept the gospel at the center of everything he did. Teach us today, use uh, your words uh, to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been talking about the upside-down kingdom. And today, the upside-downness of our lives is focused on this idea that the gospel is the center of everything that we are. See, that's foreign to this world we're in. It was foreign to Paul's world, the customs, right? The, the people, the Jews, they wanted to keep their customs and rituals and power. It's foreign basically to all of humanity since sin entered the world in the garden. And so we see that this upside-down kingdom, as we live our lives centered in the gospel, is contrary to what is around us. Uh, I'm an outline kind of guy, so I'm going to give you our outline for the day. This is it, all right? Main theme, the gospel is the center, so that has to be point number one, of course, the gospel is central. We're going to talk about the gospel being complex and simple. We're going to talk about how culture changes around us, and yet the gospel never changes. And then we're going to talk about being always ready to share. I'm going to focus on, oops, focus on points uh, two and three, really, but we got to blow through a little bit of this together. So recap as we were reading through this you're like who is this you know who are these people we're talking about remember there's a lot that's happened in the last two weeks you guys have had camp or other things when lee talked he um was getting through chapter 25 so caesar is emperor in rome right over the entire roman empire he had set felix as governor in the region of where the jews live this is just outside jerusalem and caesarea okay well felix is the one who had Paul there, and instead of you know, figuring out what to do with Paul, he kept him for two years, uh, really diving into what, what this Christianity stuff was. Well, Felix, Felix times out. His time as governor goes. So now there's Festus. That's, that's the chapter we're reading today. So now he's governor. He kind of bounces between Jerusalem and Caesarea. But at this, in this story, he's in Caesarea. Then you have Agrippa that shows up. And Agrippa and his sister, don't ask if you remember from Lee's talk a couple, years, uh, a couple weeks ago. But Agrippa and Bernice show up. He is the king of the Jews. He's like they set this leader over the Jewish people. Uh, but again, they kind of sit under the Roman Empire political structure. So I, I just vi- have to visualize things. So this is for me, uh, not for you guys, but there you go. Paul's in jail, right? He's in Caesarea. So they all end up in Caesarea together. And Festus is like, I don't know what to do. I've got this guy. He's been arrested. They're, they're claiming he's causing riots. And I don't really see what's going on. Let me ask the king of the Jews because he must surely know what's going on. So there's this big whole pomp and circumstance going on. The king and his sister walk in. It's a big show. I mean, imagine like a huge production. And Agrippa, kind of with the authority coming from, uh, from Festus, basically says, all right, Paul, the mic's yours. And Paul's like, I'm glad you're here. You're going to get this. Because you're a Jew, you're going to understand the whole history behind what's going on here. So to recap, Paul basically says, I was a really good Jew, like best of the best, and I was trying to do everything that was right, opposing this Jesus guy. And then Jesus shows up in this vision and is like, boom, complete transformation, 
right? So Paul goes from like the worst persecutor to now proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And here it is. This is what Paul says. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Okay, he's talking to Agrippa, who knows all the prophets. And he's saying, listen here, the story's plain. If you read the prophets, you will find that they're leading to Christ, to Jesus. That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul didn't waste any time. He had a short, audience, a short time in front of them. He knew that he had to get to the whole point here, and he laid it out. This is the gospel. This is the gospel here, that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the ultimate atonement, the firstborn of the resurrection, and that he is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. See, for, for Paul, the gospel was the center of everything he did. As he traveled around Asia Minor, if you recall, he was imprisoned. He was beaten within a beating of his life, like literally laying there dead on the ground almost. And ultimately, the gospel was his story, and it was his hope. And the gospel was all that mattered. When he was leaving the Ephesians, after having really, really been there uh, diving into these people and, and building up the church, he knew he was not going to see them ever again. And so they're, they're sitting there praying and they are laying hands and they're weeping. It says they're just weeping together. And this is the verse, this is what Paul says to them. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive. Oop, there we go. I shouldn't do that. Uh, that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he is leaving the Ephesians for the last time. He says, it doesn't matter if I've been rich or poor or dead or alive my only job here is to testify to the gospel. Uh, who knows Philippians one twenty one? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is gospel-centered living. That is gospel-centered proclamation to say, it doesn't matter what happens to me. If the gospel is preached and I'm living according to the gospel, that is what I am here for. And so we see Paul doing this over and over. Um, my brother and I used to uh, have these epic ping pong matches. I don't know if any of y'all play ping pong. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, we'd be at my aunt and uncle's house where they had a ping pong table, and my parents and my aunt and uncle would be talking for hours and hours on end. So we'd go out to the garage. So we'd pick out and say, okay, we're going to play best two out of three. So we'd get a couple games in. Whoever was about to lose was like, let's make it three out of five. And then let's make it four out of seven. And all of a sudden, we're playing for like three hours straight. And we realize it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Our parents are about to leave. We're final game, match point. My brother would look over across the table to me, and he'd say, this is what it all boils down to. It all boils down to this. I have no idea where this came from. It was some teacher he had in, like, eighth grade, but it was like this two-and-a-half-hour epic ping-pong match comes down to one point. Of course, I pretty much won every time. So um, that's important to, to, to mention. But, but for Paul, it's the idea. All these things he's been preaching and teaching and the messages he's been sharing, it all boils down to this. It's the gospel. That's all that matters. Remember, we're talking about a time here when the Jewish leaders, as I said, they're about custom and control and power. Paul's bringing this upside down kingdom. And he's like, guys, you've got to understand this is what Jesus meant. 
This is the most important thing. So we're going to move on now to point number two. The gospel is complex, and yet the gospel is simple. And I want to, want to be careful here as we talk through this, so follow along with me. I do need some help, though. Someone willing to audience participation, share what the gospel is in a 30-second whatever. Maybe you've done Dare to Share, right? There's an easy one for you, six points, G-O-S-P-E-L. Someone share. Go. Good news. Good news? All right. Good news. That's, that's part of the story. There's a little bit more. Someone share what gospel stands for. Anyone dare to share? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go, Ann. All right. So, so the gospel is something that can be really complex. It can be really simple, but I want to I, I want to argue to you today that actually the gospel in many ways is even more simple than this. This is a simple, quick, easy, great way when someone says, I don't understand what this whole Bible and Jesus thing is about. This is a great way. You might have your own way of sharing, you know, you know Jesus, God loves us so much. And we were sinners. He sent his son to die for us, but he rose again to conquer death. And he took our place, and we can now live with God forever. Those are great 20-second ways that you can share the gospel. But I think there's another way that we can share the gospel, too. And perhaps this idea of when you are in front of those in your friend group, in your whether it's work group or your family group, there's ways that we can use our words to actually draw them in without just saying, hey, let me tell you the six points of the gospel. So I want you to follow along with me. When Paul is in front of the king of the Jews, let's look at some of these verses that he says. Okay, some of the words. Follow along with me. I stand here on trial because of my, what, hope in the promise made by God so that the people may turn from darkness to light so they may for- receive forgiveness Today I've had the help that comes from God. Christ would proclaim life to both our people and the Gentiles. You see, he's taking this whole big message of the gospel and all that goes into it, and he's trying to, he's got these words. They're pinging into Agrippa. And if it were me, I'd be reading this saying, what, what are these words? Why are there these key words here that Paul is using in his sharing of the gospel? I want you to take a moment right where you are. And I want you to think for yourself, when you think of what the gospel means to you, if you had to choose one word, just one word, what would that be? Is it hope? Is it light? Maybe it's something not up here, right? Maybe there's another word, peace, security, joy. So take a, take a minute, just take a minute to yourself. Now, as you think through that, I want you to take that word, And then I want you to say, okay, why? What does this word mean to me about the gospel? If if I just, if someone said, explain or not explain, but tell me why you believe in this Jesus thing. Why do you go to church? And you only had one word to give them. What is that word? And then if maybe you get a chance to just give them one more sentence, what's the why? Why does that word speak to you about the gospel? So think about that. I want you at your table after you've had a chance to think through this, take a few minutes and would you share that with each other? Don't just copy off each other. Think about your own heart, your own life, your, your, your tendencies, the things that scare you or that fulfill you or that bring you joy. 
that one word of what the gospel means. So think through that and then explain why. Share that with your table. I'll give you just a couple minutes. All right. If, if y'all will, let's bring it back in. I, I'm going to cut you off right as soon as it gets super exciting because there's a lot of good talking going on. Take your sheet of paper. Take your sheet of paper you have. If you have one, grab one. Flip it on the back side. And there's a spot there for that one word. I want you to write that down because I don't want you to forget. And later on, I'm going to ask you to, to write down the why, or you can write it down now if, if you have that already percolating in your brain. But go ahead and write that down, okay? If you don't have a sheet, write it down on your hand or write it in your Bible or something, right? For me, personally, I was a fearful kid, and I'm still kind of fearful, right? I was afraid of spiders. I was afraid of snakes. I was afraid of public speaking, right? I was afraid of making mistakes, right? I'm a perfectionist, and so sometimes I don't do things because I'm afraid I won't do it perfectly. And I am still many times... uh, many of these things, and yet Christ came in, and he gave me peace, right, and hope, and security, okay, that's three words, but right, I'm going to, I'm the speaker, I can take some liberal advantage here, but no, I have peace in my heart in the midst of my fears, because Christ says, listen, I love you, I died for you, no one can snatch you out of my hand, I can't tell you how many times I fell asleep, saying that verse over and over and over in my head because I was afraid of something, probably stupid, but still, whatever is going on in your life at that time is important at that time. And so the point of it is this. Yes, I need to know the six points that we said, the G-O-S-P-E-L. I need to know the basics of what gospel is and what Jesus did for us, but I need sometimes to be able to break the ice with someone who's like... So why do you spend so much time at church? Well, you know what? It's because Jesus came in and he gave me peace. That may be it. That may be the only gospel message you get to give. But if you have that on the tip of your tongue, that may open up a 20-minute conversation. The gospel being central to your life allows you then to be able to share that with them. So who's willing to share your word? Yeah. Redemption. Redemption. Great word. Love it. Word. Just yell it out. Strength. Strength. Hope. Hope. Freedom. Freedom. Mm, Sacrifice. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Future. Future. What? Grace. Grace. Security. Life. Life. Love. Love. What's that? Peace. Peace. Salvation. Oh, my gosh. You guys are awesome. This is the gospel, guys. This is it. Right? You don't... Again, I'm, I'm belaboring the point. Okay? There are words in the gospel that you'll need to learn. You need to understand justification. You'll event, you need to learn propitiation, sanctification, prophecies. But really, it all boils down to these things, your personal story, how you can share that. If we look back at Paul, what is he telling Agrippa? He was like, man, I am the best of the Jews. And then Jesus came in, and boom, light, right? Light that physically, literally blinded him, and light that opened his eyes to see the truth of the gospel. And Paul doesn't start with this, hey, Agrippa, you're you're king of the Jews. I'm going to convert you today. This isn't like a take a bat and beat him over the head. He's like, I have a floor. I'm going to tell you what what Christ has done for me. See, sometimes we aren't asked to give a full-blown testimony. It's just as simple as, you know, I had fears, and Christ came and gave me peace in place of my fears. You might say I'm an insecure person, and I've found that I have meaning and purpose and confidence because Christ is always with me 
and will never leave me or forsake me. You might say, you know, I try to be really, really strong, but there are times I feel really, really weak. And that's okay because Christ is with me and he's my strength when I have no strength. So if you haven't written down your word, write down your word. Uh, keep that in your mind, okay? And write down this, this and, and when you get a chance, write down that one sentence. How has God used that to change you? Uh, Jim Gaffigan, if you know Jim, a uh, pretty famous cop, comedian, uh, he's pretty, pretty devout Catholic. And someone says, what, you know, what does this mean to you? Why the church? And he said this, uh, I think this is close enough to a quote. He said, my faith is associated with the idea of mercy, right? That's it, mercy. That's his word. And then he uses that. He can use that to, to share about his faith. Okay, so let's go to the next point. All right, we've talked about the gospel being central. We've talked about how the gospel can still be very, very simple. Now, the culture, circumstances, things around us change, but the gospel does not. So if you recall, which you probably don't, but we've been in Acts for a long time. Paul has done a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking to people. He was in Athens at the Areopagus, right? And these people were really curious about all these various deities, and they were afraid they were going to miss one of these gods out there. And he said to them, this unknown God you pray to has a name. He is the eternal God and creator of all. Okay? So he speaks to the people where they're at in their belief structure in that city. Then he goes to Corinth and he says, hey guys, you guys are messed up. You've got a lot of sexual immorality going on. This is not cool. This is not how you live your life. I'm focusing my, my words to you about how you've been redeemed and bought with a price and you have to live your life following God with your choices in your body. Okay? He goes to the Ephesians and he says, listen, listen, you guys love all these ideas of cosmic powers and you know, magician and all this kind of stuff, evil spirits. God is the creator of all. And the Ephesians loved their money. They were pretty wealthy in that city. And he said, listen, the riches you get in Christ, they are greater than all this. They're greater than any other riches you can find. See, Paul took the message, the gospel stayed the same, but to the different groups, he said what was important to them and how their culture was or how they were living their lives. And so that message was tailored to them. If we think about how um, Paul spoke to the Galatians in his uh, his. Uh, book in, in Galatians. If you read through it, they're trying to replace grace with the law. They're trying to replace what the freedom they found in Christ with living according to specific requirements. And he was like, no, 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 no. Guys, you have freedom in Christ. So uh, maybe this is a bad example, but I'm going to uh, try to give you a little, little example about how things change and things, and yet the core doesn't. So when we go to the beach, uh, we love to take walks and look for seashells. And so um, these are the little seashells. We used to always find a couple dozen of these every trip. Uh, they're kind of rare, but you know, you'd, you'd find 10 or so you know, during a week. Super cool. Well, the island was basically getting uh, overrun with water, right? So the, the, the beach was eroding, houses were at risk. So they went out and they pumped 1.1 million cubic yards of sand from the ocean floor and built up the beach, like super, super big. So now it's not going to wash away. You don't find these anymore. You now find these. It's weird. But these came from the ocean floor 
And this is what you find when you're walking along the beachfront. I miss finding these little guys, they're super cute. So you're like, what's the point? I think I've lost you. Okay, the point is this. They're still shells. This is a shell, this is a shell. They came from the same place. They formed the same way. They're just different in their own way, okay? Maybe a bad example, but the whole idea is this. Things around us change. The culture around us changes. The gospel never does. The gospel is still central. It applies to no matter what circumstances we're finding ourselves in. So let's look at it this way. Paul is talking to Agrippa, and he says, Agrippa, you know the prophets. You know the history. You know all of these promises of a Messiah. And guess what? It's right in front of you. This is Jesus. Fess is like, dude, homeboy, you're crazy, man. I don't know what's been going on with you. You're out of your mind. And then Agrippa, if you look at Agrippa, he's like, you trying to convert me? You trying to make me a Christian? Paul's like, catching on fast, aren't you? He's like, listen, I don't want just you to become a Christian. I want everyone who hears this to understand what Jesus has done. Think about it this way. Paul, Paul has an audience with literally the king of the Jews. Imagine if you had created a better Tesla and you had this car that's going to change the world and you get an audience with Elon Musk and you're like, dude, here it is. And he's like, whoa. And there's millions of people's lives changed. You get millions of dollars out of it. And it's like you get an audience with the one who can change the face of electric vehicles. Paul's got an audience with a guy who could change the entire path of the Jewish people. And he's like, this is what it is. This is the gospel. So um, when we look at Jesus... Think about how Jesus used his time on earth to meet people where they were. His gospel message never changed. I am the light, right? I am here for, to save people. But listen how he talked to the woman at the well. I am the living water. The disciples, when they were hungry, I am the bread of life. To the people who were lost without a shepherd, he said, I am the good shepherd. Blessed are you. He said, your heavenly father cares about you. He took his message to people right where they are. Again, the core of it never changed. Think about our culture. Think about our, our country. Um, y'all weren't around 60, 70 years ago. I was not around 60 or 70 years ago. But you might hear stories from your grandparents about uh, nuclear fallout shelters. This was a legit deal in the 60s, right? This whole Cold War where you, my mom tells stories of hiding under desks to practice Bomb scares, like hiding under a desk is going to do much, right? I mean, yeah, but yes, thank you. you and, and so, you know, these were insecurities people faced in this time, right? So there was a lot of fear. Then you get into the late 60s, Woodstock and free love, right? All these things. Fast forward to your, your lives, right? Just a couple years ago, COVID-19 just, you know, blows up what we know about living and community and pandemics, and then we have our culture today, the acceptance culture, right? Where anything goes, right, as it relates to sexuality, your choices, who you are. See, these changes in culture are affecting you and they're affecting me in ways, and yet the gospel doesn't. How we share the gospel, how we speak to these things, that's what changes. So let's be clear. 
The gospel is the gospel. We're sinners. Christ came, died for us, rose again, conquered death. We can have life forever. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. As you think about your friends and how this applies in in today's culture, right? Some of the words that you just gave as we talked about one word from the gospel, right? There's hope and security in Christ. There's a lot of fear in today's world. Maybe it's the war in Ukraine. Maybe it's genocide in China that you, we don't hear a lot about, but it's, it's happening. Maybe it's the risk of nuclear bombs in the hands of some crazy tyrants, right? There's still fear among us and in our culture and our world today. You can share with those friends who are fearful there's hope in Christ, right? There's hope that we have eternal security and life forever if we trust in him. Maybe your friends are dealing with abuse or neglect or insecurity because of some hard family situation. You can share with them there's someone that loves them unconditionally, literally gave his life for you to bring you into a relationship with a loving father who cares about you. Maybe you have a friend who's uncertain about their sexuality, how they fit in, and they come to you with their struggles. What does this mean for them? They... They just need to know they matter. They are made in God's image, right? Not because of what they've done or who their friends are. We find joy and complete fulfillment and meaning when we have that relationship with God, when we've come to him and we put our full trust in him. He is our identity, right? When we find our identity in Christ, that is the ultimate acceptance, right? That's the ultimate identity to have. Then we know we truly matter. We truly belong, not to these categories that everyone's trying to figure out today or being defined by the culture. Every seems like it changes every hour, but we we belong to the father who created us, loved us. He's adopted us into his family. So I want you to take a minute, close your eyes. This is not going to be a share time thing. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about a friend close friend you have, someone who's not a a follower of Jesus. Think about what you know they struggle with. Again, is it fears, insecurity, finding a place to belong? Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind something you can share with them from the gospel that is meaningful for their current situation. So again, you don't have to go to them and say, hey, the solution to all your problems is Jesus died for you and you know, trying to like throw out this whole gospel thing when they don't even know they need the gospel, right? You'd be like, hey, I, I know you, you're, you've got fears. Can I share with you how Jesus calmed my fears? Can I share with you how I find peace, how I find meaning, how I find love? And then that leads into the gospel, So I want you to think through that. If you've thought of something, there's another line on your sheet of paper. You can write that down now or later. But I don't want you to let that go. I want you to follow up on that. You can open your eyes. I want you to follow up on that, right? Because we all, we know, have friends. I've got friends, uber wealthy, but yet I know they're insecure because they always just need a little bit more, right? How do I use my time with them to share that all that, all this doesn't matter. It all fades away. Okay, last point. Always be ready to share. 
Always be ready to share. So Paul never stopped sharing the gospel wherever he was, on a shipwrecked boat, right, on, in jail. Uh, whenever he was given a mic, he didn't waste any time. He just took it straight to the gospel. So the question is, can you be ready to share? Inevitably, you're going to get back to school or with a group or something, and someone's going to say, how was summer? I mean, isn't that going to be a question someone asks you? I promise in the next three months, there's, someone's going to say, how was your summer? So you can either just say, fine. Or you can say, you know, I went to summer camp and learned about how I have victory in Christ. Boom. I mean, that's a gospel message in five words, right? And you have an open door to walk right through it. Always be ready to share. Bike trip. Are you crazy riding 180 miles across Florida with 50 high schoolers? Yeah, we're crazy. But we found that we can trust God to give us strength when things don't seem like they're going well and we can rely on him and rely on each other. The gospel message. Boom, just like that. So I want you to think about this, right? Be, always be ready to share. Um, we have the Holy Spirit with us. If you've been to main service or if you have a chance, we've, the, the um, main service is going through a whole study of the Holy Spirit who empowers us and gives us strength and is with us always. We have to call upon him. We have to open our hearts to walk in his steps. So I mentioned Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning earlier. Dead Reckoning is like a navigational term, right? So if all your instruments die... You're basically kind of relying on your basic instincts to figure out where to turn. Um, if you're in an airplane and all, you know, all your instruments go, you, you don't just plummet to the ground, right? You can still fly this airplane, right? You just kind of have to use your basic navigational sense to go where you're going. The Holy Spirit is our dead reckoning. He's with us. We don't always have to have a Bible in our hands to share the gospel. We just have to have these words ready to go to be ready to share. So my challenge to you is this. Think about what the gospel means to you. Think about those around you who are struggling and how you can share your story with them. And always be ready to share. And most of all, keep the gospel at the center of everything you do. That is the upside-down kingdom. It's the gospel drives everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that it is living, it is active, that it speaks to us. God, as things around us change and there's confusion and there's fears and there's a desire for just information, and yet it doesn't seem like that information is actually fixing anything. But God, we can look to the basics of who you are, that you love us, you've given us hope, salvation, grace mercy, freedom, joy, life. God, may your gospel be the center of everything we do, of the conversations we have, of the friendships we have, so that you would be glorified and your kingdom would grow. And Lord, that we would honor you with all we do. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.